know about you, but I want to hear that one again sometime. Beautiful, beautiful song. Have our children dismissed to the children's church and remember her. Uh, We're graduating our toddlers. Everybody goes to the same service downstairs. And so you pray for, uh, I guess, uh, Brother Jason is teaching today. So pray for him as he's going to have everybody. And uh, that will be good. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And this is keeping in the series, as we said, on the letters of Jesus to his churches. And uh, this is the third letter to the third church, the church at Pergamos. Now, Pergamos is one of those interesting uh, churches because we know nothing about it. This is the only mention of this church in the Bible uh, Paul, as far as we know, never actually visited this city. Uh, the church was obviously the result of the missionary work of other churches that Paul had started. Uh, his missionary journeys at this time were 35, possibly 40 years uh, in the past. And so the churches that were there were doing their work of reaching out and seeing new churches established. That's one of the reasons we're so excited about what's going on at Union and what's going on in the Bronx. And you need to pray for both Brother Newberger and his family and Brother Franz and his family as Uh, They face a lot of opposition, and uh, the devil hates one thing more than anything. Well, two things, actually. One is the opening of a new church, and the other is the saving of a church that's just about to close. And so, uh, actually, we're doing both right now. Brother Newberger went over to start a church there, and the Lord gave us a 170-year-old church. Uh, the church was started in 1847. The building was built in 1863, but we're trying to fix that. So you keep praying uh, as we keep moving there. But this church was started. We don't know which one of the churches Paul uh, uh, started that would have gone over to this city of Pergamos and started this church. And... Uh, let, but this was a persecuted church. This was a church that was having a tough time. And yet, if there's any thought that I want us to, to concentrate on this morning as we study this letter and Jesus writing this church, it's the, the pity and compassion of Christ for his church. You know, Jesus loved his church. He gave himself for his church. Yes, he died that we might be saved and you must be saved as an individual. You cannot be saved as a church. It, the church does not give out salvation. I am, I am so thrilled as I look and study history and live and just read the headlines that salvation is something you can only get from Jesus. But once you get it, you ought to want to fellowship together in His church. Can we say amen to that? 
And I would hope and pray that that's the reason why we're here today, is because we want to operate and function. And no, the church does not only function as a church when they hold services. We're, we're doing things all over uh, the world in our support of missionaries and in the other works that are going on. And, and uh, listen, there is no thing like the local church. There's no organization like Jesus' church. I was uh, talking with, with someone uh, just this week, and, you know, none of the denominations have what we have. We're an independent church. Someone once said, where's your headquarters? Um, I guess my office is over here. I guess that'll work, Right. Uh, that's the worldwide headquarters of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And, and uh, I remember one fellow coming in, he was mad at me. He says, I want to talk to your boss. I want to talk to your superior. He said, well, the altar's right here. You can talk to him all you want. Amen? And uh, we, we are responsible as a church directly to Jesus. And yet we cooperate with hundreds if we were to take the number of individual churches that support each one of our missionaries, we support right now somewhere around 75, 78 uh, different missionaries and projects. And if we were somehow to add up all the individual churches that those missionaries have supporting them, we would be in a group of nearly a thousand churches. And I have never called them, one other pastor, and they have never called me and said, try to exercise direction. I, I love how Heartland Baptist Bible College works. The college itself is owned by a fellowship of pastors. It's controlled by that fellowship of pastors. And we work together, but... Brother Sam uh, has never called me up and told me what to preach. And by the way, I've never done that to him either. We've had concerns about different things going on at the Bible college. I remember one time a pastor called me up and said, there's some books in the bookstore that aren't that good, and do you know what the guy who wrote those books is actually doing? And I, I said, no, I am not aware of that at all. Uh, did not like the author, knew him, very famous man, but not a Baptist, not a strong Bible believer in any sense, but he'd written a lot of books, and people put books in the bookstore. And I called up Brother Copes and said, you know, a preacher called me up and gave me this concern over those books. And he said, well, I'll research that. And called me back a week later, and he said, those books are off the shelf, and they'll never be put back down there. We're not going to put anything by that author again on the shelves for our students to, to read, because we don't want them to be influenced by men who are doing the things that this man was doing. He was training preachers to go into Baptist churches and change the way that they operate and take their name off. It was a kind of a, uh, it was certainly not publicized, but once... Uh, you were able to, to follow this thing. You were able to search that out to a degree. This other pastor was way up on that thing. Let me tell you, there's not another Bible college in the country that you called them up and criticized what's in their bookstore and they'd even give you the time of day. You see, that church 
is concerned about what that college is what's concerned about what goes on in our churches. That's why we send our kids there. Because when they graduate, they come back. And they come back loving this place more than when they left. Let me tell you something that you cannot, you cannot get any higher in service for Christ than participation in a local church. That's why Jesus wrote these letters to his churches. And we will find, just as we did with the church at Ephesus, I I pray that we will never find ourselves in a position uh, of the church at Ephesus, but it's easy to lose your first love. It's something you've got to work at. Today is 29 years for my wife and I, and she pointed out something this morning. It was raining on the day we got married. It was nice. It just kind of calmed everything down. And uh, it just has that effect, a fall rainstorm. And, and uh, 29 years. But I'll tell you what. If we're not careful, if we don't keep working, we'll lose some of those things that God gave us. You've got to work. And as a church, we've got to work. That's the church at Ephesus. We've got to work to keep that first love. What is that first love? We love Him because He first loved us. I'll tell you, if a church ever gets the idea that God sure is glad that He has us on His side, we are in trouble. And there are churches that do that. There are churches that get so well organized that they really don't need the Holy Spirit of God. We need to pray that never happens here. Amen? And and the church at Smyrna, they were one of the churches of which there is no condemnation. They were doing things right, but They were maligned by those who claimed to have the truth. Uh, it is so funny uh, over, the, over the years how the Catholic Church has modified itself in order to uh, confront the threat that the Bible has toward their doctrine. You see, in the Catholic Church, uh, the word pastor was never ever used for the longest time. But now they have pastors. And and you know what the pastor does in the Catholic Church? He is a lay person that they let handle the the elements of the Catholic Mass. And and please don't confuse the Catholic Mass with the Lord's Supper in the Bible. They're two completely different. They could not be further separated in truth uh, the Catholic Church would have you believe it's the same thing, but you have to study That's another topic. But they put them in a position that they're not really as good as even the lowest of the priests. And, and that whole thing is designed 
that when someone uses the word pastor to demean them in, in the eyes of the people that attend the church. Uh, they've even come out with a set of gospel tracts called Hard Hat Joe. And uh, he's a union worker who uh, confronts the, uh, the threats of the Bible. He says, born again, I, I get born again when I receive Christ in the Mass every time. That's their answer to born again. Let me tell you something. Doesn't work, does it? You see, people malign and they criticize and they demean and they want to call us all kinds of names. But I want to challenge you to think about this. Nearly a thousand different churches that we work together with and no corporate body telling us what to do, and yet it works. A little over 500 of those churches, including ours, raised over a million dollars for Heartland in May. A miracle offering. Uh, let me tell you something. God is about churches. And boy, I could go on all morning and then we wouldn't get to the sermon. Uh, this is the third church. And this was a persecuted church. And let's, let's just start reading in verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which... Thing I hate, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against whom? You got to get that pronoun in there. That's really important. And will fight against them, not his church, against those people that are in the church under false pretenses. I will fight against them. With the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. That's the end of the letter. Short letter. Not the shortest. The shortest letter was actually to Smyrna. And as Jesus addresses this church, he introduces himself in a very special way. He says, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Now, I'll tell you, there's an awful lot said about the sword of the Spirit, is there not? And this crazy idea that somehow I'm going to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 6, and go slashing down my enemies and, 
and, and uh, parlaying and, and sword fighting and fencing. Let me tell you something. You get in a fencing match with the devil, you are going to lose. God never gave us the sword of the Spirit to fight the world. You know who we're supposed to fight with the sword of the Spirit? How come it's so quiet? Nobody's saying amen. Because we should be going, oh me, shouldn't we? You read Ephesians chapter 6. What is the work of the warrior? The warrior puts on all of that armor. And then he prays. That's the work of the warrior. God has not called you to change the world. If he did, we'd be passing out guns and enlisting people and getting a battalion to go up and fight ISIS and all of these things. Because that is what... If you don't understand that ISIS is actually a religious jihad trying to take over the world, you just don't understand what's going on. Uh, By the way, that's what the Crusades were about in the Middle Ages, was the Catholic Church trying to fight the world and take over the world. And, And they held huge areas in subjugation. That's not the work of the church. The work of the church is to be the body of Christ. Amen? We're to take that light to the world in which we live. They give Margaret Thatcher... Ronald Reagan and Pope John Paul uh, credit for taking down the Soviet Iron Curtain. Can I challenge you? The number one black market item in Russia, in Soviet Russia, was not Levi jeans. It was the sword of the Spirit. Really was. And you see, God's Word does the work. What we need to do is let uh, it teach us. And Jesus is introducing himself to this church. He said, I'm the one that hath the sword. This is Jesus' word. And if you've been here on Sunday nights, we've just spent uh, uh, the last uh, 10, 12 weeks talking about why we do not have the right to change the words of this book, why we accept this book as our final authority, why the old King James Bible is the only Bible that we use in the English language. We're not ashamed to make that statement. We believe that this is our authority. And Jesus said, I still hold my word and it's not going to change and nobody's going to change it. And he says, I know thy works. I want you to keep a finger or put a bookmark or your bulletin in Revelation chapter 2 and turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. Because here we have the author of Hebrews giving us one of the greatest working definitions of the Word of God and how that it works in our hearts and lives and what God intended it to do. For the Word of God, verse 12, if you don't have this verse memorized, you need to put it in your mind and in your heart. For the Word of God is quick. Now, that word quick means alive. Uh, 
and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, why we make this connection, if you go back to uh, Revelation chapter 1, as Jesus is described there, he has a sharp two-edged sword that goes out of his mouth. Now, that's an interesting picture there. But this is how you handle pictures and figurative speech in your Bible. You match it up. The sharp two-edged sword that goes out of his mouth. What comes out of your mouth? Words. What's this verse say? The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. I mean... This book cuts both ways. We don't have time this morning to do I just want to remind you, when Jesus used those parables, that he cut both ways with one slice. Those that did not want to know the truth, those that had already made up their minds that they had rejected Jesus as their Messiah, they were confused. They were pushed further away from him. And at the same time, his disciples and those that wanted to know the truth We're drawn closer. That's how that sword cuts both ways. That's the emphasis. If you want to be confused, you want to know where all of these nutcases, cuckoos, loonies, whatever you want to call them, uh, the cultists and the isms and the schisms, you want to know why they get, they take this book and they wrestle with it to their own destruction. How many of you have ever picked up a knife And cut yourself by mistake. Because it was a little sharper than you thought it was. Well, let me tell you, you get messing with this. This is not a toy. One of the rites of passage, my sons, they all get a pocket knife when they get a certain age. And and, uh, sometimes, uh, Dad, I'm old enough. I? I said, age is not in numbers. It's in responsibility. There's a few grown ones I'm still a little afraid to give a pocket knife to. But anyway, listen. Jesus introduces himself as he that hath the sword. And we read this verse here. And how is this sword supposed to work? It says that it is piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, the only thing that will keep you out of error is this book. That's why you have to read it. That's why you have to spend time with it. If no one else will believe your lies, you will. The greatest deception in the world is not the Joel Olsteins out there with their big teethy grin talking about your inner champion. I've met very, very few people I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, I just love that message. I said, you know it's fake, don't you? Well, yeah, but I still like it. It makes me feel good. 
Okay, whatever. The greatest deception is self-deception. Because you can fight against a lot of things, but you can't fight against yourself. Because you take yourself everywhere you go. Over the years, you've met many, many people. You can't raise a family in New York City. It's just too tough. You're talking to the wrong guy, all right? You can raise a family in New York City. You can do what the Bible says. But let me tell you something. If you don't stay in this book, you're going to be deceived. Bad things are going to happen. Now, Jesus is talking to this church. He says, I know thy works. I know what's going on. I'm the one that holds the word and the word judges you. And and pretty soon he's going to get around to dealing with the negative things that were going on in that church. But before... um, he does that, he's going to tell them some other things, so keep a, a mark there because we're going to go back and forth between Hebrews 4 and Revelation chapter 2 here. He says, and where thou dwellest. He says, I know where your church is. Now, that's comforting, but look what he says about where this church was. Even where Satan's seat is. I read that passage and I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus said, Even the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Now, the gates, if you follow through the Old Testament, where did the king set? His throne was not in a palace. That was Solomon that started that. Before Solomon's day, the king would actually sit in the gate of the city. And you'll find that. All throughout your Old Testament, even when uh, the city of Jerusalem was taken and and the king had uh, fled between the gates, the thing that if you'll read there in the book of 2 Chronicles, what happened was he saw the general of the Babylonian army sitting on a throne in the gate of the city of Jerusalem. Now you see, the gate is on the outside wall. If you're sitting there, That means you have control of what's going on inside the city and what's going on outside the city. You're in charge. That's when Zedekiah uh, fled because he knew that they weren't fighting anymore. No one was fighting. And so he tried to get out of there. And what is being spoken of here, he says, you sit in, your church is in the city where Satan sits in the gates. He's control of what goes on inside the city. He's control of what goes on outside the city. He's in charge. How many of you'd like to be in the city where Satan was in charge? Someone might say, "Well, welcome to New York." Well, I guess there's some truth in that too. Now enter, and in every other city, the devil loves cities because that's where the souls are. And he says, I know that you're in a wicked, wicked city. And yet Jesus was speaking to his church. This was a city that was given over. And some have talked about uh, the fact that Pergamos was one of the first cities to build a temple to worship Caesar. And 
that, that, that's good color and things, but what we need to understand is what was going on in the city government and what they were promoting was coming was inspired directly by the devil. And they, he was in charge, and yet this church was there. And, and he says, And holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Now, that's an interesting duo there, isn't it? As he describes this church, he said, You hold fast my name, and you've not denied my faith. Now, we'll have a few more things to say about that when we get into the problems of the church. But we have a, a, a great battle going on today for identification. Um, my daughter picked up on a, a website of a church in our area, not in our state, but in the northeast here. And, and as the church was describing itself, it says, We are a Bible-believing, Bible-living independent, non-denominational Baptist church. And I go, and she wrote back, Dad, do you know this guy? Is he still associated with these? Uh, What in the world is going on? And I'm sitting there going, wow, that's a mouthful. In fact, those are contradictory statements because the word non-denominational means that you have no set doctrine. In fact, you look through... Uh, the advertisements, if you want, if you want to find a church that is proud of the fact that they have no doctrine, you can find those churches. They're called non-denominational churches. Because the word denomination means a set form of doctrine. If you want to use the name Presbyterian, that means that you adhere to, uh, uh, uh the Presbyterian, historically Presbyterian, Doctrinal system, and uh, uh, and the Lutherans and the uh, 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 other Protestant groups and the Catholics and the Muslims and the Jehovah's Witnesses—they all have a set standard. Now you'll have liars in all group. I, I, I've had some actual preachers come up and said, "Man, after Bill Clinton, I don't think we can use the name Baptist anymore." I said, "Excuse me." Does anybody believe anything Bill Clinton says except give me the money? Uh, I mean, does anybody believe anything that man says? I'm not going to let him steal the name. It it doesn't belong to him. In fact, we had one guy visiting and he said, what would you do if Bill Clinton was a member of your church? I said, number one, he never would have become a member of this church. And number two, if he was, we'd have kicked him out a long time ago. Long before he got to the White House. Uh, we don't believe in that kind of living and calling yourself a Baptist. The reason we use the name Baptist is because it has an historical definition. You know what that historical definition is in one sentence? They're the Bible only people. That's the historical working definition of Baptist. That's why I became one. I wasn't going to start my own church when I could join Jesus' church. Amen? 
Jesus started his church in Matthew chapter 16. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's writing letters to them in 100 A.D. And we can find places today that are doing the exact same things that the Bible says. Identification. Jesus said, you've not denied my name. You didn't join the world. You didn't join the other religions. You weren't willing to take me and put Jesus in the pantheon. You know, that was what the, uh, one historian said about the Christians was, the Romans were more than willing to accept another religion. And, and as the Christians began to tell the Romans about Jesus, they said, listen, they were even willing to take Zeus off the throne and, and put him on the side and put Jesus as the head of all the gods. But was when the Christians said, no, no, that doesn't work. You have to empty the pantheon. Only Jesus can be there. That's when they started killing the Christians. You see, Jesus said, you've not denied my name. And you hold, hold fast to my name, I'm sorry. And you've not denied my faith. These were the attributes of this church. He said, you're where Satan dwells. You haven't changed your name. You haven't changed your identification. You're telling people the truth about yourself. You know, a lot of churches don't change the name, but they change everything that's going on inside. I remember uh, several years ago, we had one of the inner city missions classes out here. And uh, we took them on a tour of the Jehovah's Witness uh, 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 facilities there in Brooklyn. And, uh, of course, I called up and I identified the group and told them we were coming and we'd just like to take the tour. And we didn't want to cause any problems or ask uncomfortable questions. I, I just wanted the, uh, the students of the class to see what went on there. And uh, so we went down there, and they gave us a special tour guide, and all oh, she was just loaded for bear. Kept putting in little jibes here and there, and I said, "Now be ready, guys. It's going to happen." And uh, we don't do that anymore with the inner. But this, but it was really interesting. As she's giving us an introduction, she says, "You know, uh, the modern day Jehovah's Witnesses hold to less than 10 percent of what Judge Russell actually taught." He was the founder of the movement. And I didn't say a word until we got out of there and got back here. And I said, what's the difference between them and the Catholic Church and the Protestant churches and all these other churches that change everything they believe? I said, we hold fast the name of Jesus and we still believe what he taught out of the Bible. Isn't that an amazing thing? Jesus is saying this to his church. And it's an encouragement, and I hope you take it that way. And, and has not denied my faith. We, we do not change our faith to meet the times. What was sin in the first century is still sin in the 21st century. Amen? What was true then of Jesus is still true today. What was true of His church then is still true today. And so, as we look here, he commends them. And then he makes a statement 
that seals us improves their, their adherence to his faith. Even in those days where an Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. Now, what do we know about Antipas? He was a member of the church of Pergamos. Some want to say he was one of the pastors there, but the letter is addressed to the pastor of the church. So, And obviously, he is in heaven at this point, so he wasn't pastoring the church at the current time when they received the letter. We don't know. All we know was he was a member of that church. And he was killed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And you know something? That is the history of the church. What did he tell the church at Smyrna? Be faithful unto what? Death. Antipas was faithful unto death. Only his death came early. His death came at the hands of those who would oppose and try to stamp out the church. And and it's amazing the history and the efforts that have been made to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And I quote one of the... Um, uh, leaders of an Inquisition army in the Middle Ages, as they approached a town, the, the local priest went up to the general, who was also a priest, and, and said, listen, he said, there are some Catholics, there's, and he referred to them as believers, of course, he said, there are some believers in this town also. You can't kill everyone. And here's what the general of the Inquisition army, commissioned by the Pope, said. He said, kill them all. God knows which one are his. Wow. Does that sound like Jesus at all? Or does that sound more like the devil? I'll tell you what. Persecution has always been the court of last resort. Violence has always been the answer when you cannot deny this book. You want to know what makes Islam so violent today? Is because they cannot answer the things that are in this book and the things that are lived in the lives of people who believe this book. You want me to tell you why the homosexual, the alphabet community, they keep adding letters, so I I'm, uh, don't want to be exclusive of any of the letters of the alphabet there that they keep adding constantly. I'm not trying to be too sarcastic here, but it, it is a little disturbing that they cannot identify themselves. They just got to keep expanding, 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 expanding. But that's the way sin works, is it not? And you want to talk about the violence that's out there. So much of it comes from that crowd of people. Why are they so violent? Why are the anti-abortionists? You talk about people blowing up abortion clinics. You ought to just get in the face of one of those uh, uh, quote-unquote feminists that hate God and hate everything. You talk about violence. It's because they cannot stand the sting from the sword that's sharper than two edges. They can't handle that. And the only answer, if I can't shut you up, I can kill you. 
But you know what? Those martyrs speak from the grave. That's what Antipas was doing right now. He was saying, I was faithful unto death. You see, Jesus said, I know that church. I know your works. But then verse 14 says, but. Always hate that. Well, don't always. But the gift of the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I like that one. Amen? This one and the good one, though. Jesus is saying good things, and now he's going to change. But I have a few things against thee. Now, remember, he has introduced himself as the one that's holding the double-edged sword. And so, these issues that he is bringing up are going to be because of the Word of God. He says, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, there has been so much uh, imagination applied to these doctrine of Balaam and doctrine of the Nicolaitans. uh, And we're going to try to get past the imagination and just stick with the word of God. Balaam is actually mentioned 59 different times in 59 different verses of the Bible. Most of them come with the story of Balaam that is referred to right here as Balak, the king of Moab, hired Balaam to come and curse the children of Israel. And Balaam was warned not to go. And after the third admonition and promise of riches and great power, Balaam decided to go and the Lord withstood him in the way to show him the perversity of his way. And when Balaam said, I'll go home, the Lord said, you can go because you'd already gone in his heart. Balaam had already surrendered. Now, he didn't curse the children of Israel. But how many of you remember the story of Cosby was her name? She was one of the daughters of the kings of Moab and committed immorality with one of the heads of one of the tribes of the children of Israel. And it was the son of Aaron Phineas who took a javelin and killed both of them. It's a, it's a horrible story. Why did that happen? You see, Balak knew that he could not curse Israel. But he counseled, Balaam knew he couldn't because God wouldn't let him, but he counseled Balak to entice individuals in Israel to sin. He put a stumbling block before them. Why can't we be friends? You know, you have to be really careful when someone says that. The old Soviet Union. Why can't we just be friends? Well, how do you be friends with a communist? Either join them or go to jail. One of the two. Or die. Uh, That's how you be a friend with the communist. Uh, That's what Islam says. They have all these people running around talking about Islam being a religion of peace. Well, here's how you have peace with Islam. Either you convert 
You become a slave or you die. Those are the three options that are offered in the Quran. It's in print. You can read it if you want to. But those are the, the three options. And here's what Balaam did. He knew that if he could get Israel to sin, God would judge Israel. God did judge Israel because of that sin. Balaam got a lot of money. But if you'll read the rest of the story, Balaam also got something as the children of Israel invaded the land of Canaan. It was called a uh, a cranial separation, you know, from here to there. Uh, He was killed uh, among the Canaanites of the land. You see, and God holds him as an example. But let's, let's just cut to the chase here, get a modern day application if we can. It was idolatry and immorality. What is idolatry? False worship. Do you know that most types of false worship included immorality? And if, if you want to do yourself a favor, do not study the cult of Baal and, and Ishtar and all of these ancient cultic things. You will be exposed to things that no, no clean mind who wants to think about Christ thinks about. It was, it was debased beyond any levels of your imagination. And yet we see the children of Israel all through the Old Testament as they entered the land of Canaan, as they were out uh, in the wandering in the wilderness and sinned with the uh, daughters of, of Moab and all of these things. You see, false religion is often likened to immorality in the Bible. Read the book of Hosea. God told the prophet to go find him a harlot and marry her. Because that's how wicked Israel had been. And God said, though you've done all of this wickedness, if you'll come back, I'll receive you. I'll forgive you of your sins. And and here we have Balaam promoting this thing. If you want the word, the word is ecumenicism. It is the joining of religions. How many of you remember Promise Keepers back a few years ago? What was Promise Keepers about? One of the ten promises that a Promise Keeper made was to break down denominational barriers so the body of Christ could be at one. And they included Mormons and other cults in in that group of Christians. Let me tell you something. You cannot have any assurance of heaven. In fact, you can be more assured of hell than you ever want to be by adhering to the doctrine of the Mormon church. It precludes Bible salvation. You can't have both. You You cannot be a good Catholic and a good Christian at the same time. That holds true most Protestant churches today. You cannot embrace the doctrines that have been invented and modified by man and the doctrine of Jesus Christ at the same time. What, what was actually going on here? What did Jesus commend the church for? He said, you held fast to my name. What was Balaam doing? He was trying to get the children of Israel to 
identify with the idolatry of the land. What is the devil working on in his churches today? To cause us to lose our identity and our differences so that we can be one with false church. You know, I wish we had time to... Wow, we don't have time. Um, I'm only halfway through this sermon. I guess I have to finish it up some other time, uh, maybe tonight or next Sunday. But here's what I want you to understand here about Balaam. If you want to know where the devil is his most devilish, it's connected to that word called worship. Because if he can help you worship, if he can participate, if he can get a foot in the door or a word in the sentence, if he can get a hand in there to hold yours, it's polluted and God can't accept it. The devil became the devil because of worship. He wanted people to worship him. Read Isaiah chapter 14. Read Ezekiel chapter 28. The devil wants worship. If you want to know where the devil does his worst, it's not in the dens of iniquity. It's not in the labs where they make all of the drugs and different things that destroy lives and people's minds. It's not on the internet in wicked sights and images. It's in false worship. And that's what Balaam was connected to. He said, your church is not a Balaamite church. Your church is still my church. But you've got people in that church that want to be part of the world. That want to be part of the other religions. That, that want, And this is uh, a great, great temptation in many churches today. Uh, I could give you a whole list of them. Have changed their names because they want to break down barriers and identify with the, with the uh, uh, other churches at large. I don't think I'd been in Astoria a month. This is going back 25 years. And was passing out tracks up around Dipmars there. And I met a guy and he said, There are too many, and I'm not going to use all the words he used, uh, profane churches in this town. What are you starting another one for? And I said, Well, how many heathens are in Astoria? He said, More than you can count. I said, That's who we're here for. You see, if you've already chosen false religion and you're satisfied with that, then really, Open Door Bible Baptist Church is non-topical for you. But how many here used to belong to a false religion before you got saved? Amen? Almost everybody. Listen. Balaam is alive and well. And he operates in Jesus' churches. And he wants to attack 
our identification, our holding to that name that belongs only to Jesus. That makes us different. They called them Christians because they couldn't figure out anything else to call them. Today, the word Christian means non-Muslim, non-Buddhist, non-whatever. Well, no, the name Christian still means like Christ. And what we need to do is we need to understand that this attack, these people that were in the church were attacking the first commendation that Jesus gave to the church at at, uh, Pergamos here. He said, you have held fast my name, but they had people in the church who were attacking that name. They had an idea there. It's, It's... so subtle at times you say, well, why can't we get along? And the, the best way I know how to, to, to simply say this is we do not want to make the gospel unnecessarily offensive. I'll tell you what, you, you can do that. Sunday night we were talking about out of the book of Philippians, those that preach Christ out of contention. And we had a group here that they were preaching this same Bible and they would stand on the street corner and wait till you're about three feet from them and they go, you're going to hell! And just scare the living daylights out of people. And then we're from Bible Baptist Church! Well, our name is... Open door, Bible Baptist Church. And they were trying to identify with that and trying to pull people from our church and trying to tell people that we didn't believe the Bible and we were compromisers and all of this stuff. It was going on. You know what? They weren't winning people to the Lord. They weren't helping the truth go forward. It, it was sad. It really was. But I'll tell you what. We're going to hold to the name of Jesus. And we're not going to change our name. We're not going to change your doctrine. If anything, I'll tell you what's happened to this preacher. I'm holding on a little tighter than I was. 25 years ago. Because I've been around long enough to understand that what having a loose grip on doctrine can lead you to do. Where it can take you. You see, we're we're out of time this morning. And so desperately wanted to get to the end of this thing. But I've got two pages of notes yet, so we'll, we'll not going to keep you here till two this afternoon. All right? But I want you to understand something. He that holds the sword, it's sharper than two edges, is addressing his church, and he commends them, he congratulates them, he lifts them up. He says, "Because you've held fast my name." Now he's condemning them because. You've got people, you are allowing people in that church who want to change that relationship, that hold that you have on my name. 
want to make yourself more appealing to the religions of the world. We do not offer another religion at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. We offer a place for those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to live that life in the community, in the body of other believers. As we assemble together to serve Jesus Christ. We are not an inclusive group. We're not putting a sign on the door that just says, Oh, come on in. Uh, Jesus will take you the way you were and you don't need to change anything. How many of you could give testimonies of changes Jesus has made in your life since you've joined this church? Changes in the way you think. Changes in the way you dress. Changes in the place you go. Hopefully changes in the language you use. Amen? Uh, Uh, changes in your habits and things so that when people see you out on the street, uh, uh, one of the guys downstairs who said, yeah, I saw you at Home Depot. He said, that's the biggest load of two-by-fours I ever saw anybody pushing. Well, thank you. (laughs) They're all installed and uh, hidden behind lots of sheetrock, and now we're getting tape and paint up, and, and nobody even knows where they are. Praise God. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not wearing a suit and tie at Home Depot pushing two before. In fact, one person saw me over at Union. Is that you, Pastor? Had my hard hat on and my safety glasses and work clothes and big boots. and Yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm still the same guy. But even in the workplace, I want to be distinctively a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we do that? See, that's what real worship is. And when we get to the end of this thing, the promises that that Jesus gives this church are so phenomenal. So intimate, so special. You don't want to miss out on it. You don't want to lose track of what Jesus promised this church. But they had some problems. How are they going to straighten it out? By going to the one that held that sword and letting it work on them. See, you want the devil to be uncomfortable? Truly worship Jesus Christ. He can't stand that. It's like Dorothy pouring water on the wicked witch. Going away. You truly worship the Lord Jesus Christ. True worship protects you from the devil. You can't make any friends of the devil's friends. That's why he told them. Those that hold that doctrine of Balaam, you've got to get them out of that church. You cannot allow them to operate. Because they'll make friends, they'll influence people, and eventually they'll get control and they'll change things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, as we...